This is the Talk Editions Podcast, episode 41, with Modesto Flaco Jimenez. This is the last in our series of episodes focusing on people who make performing art in dialogue with an environment. We'll talk to Flacco about his two projects titled Taxilandia and Mercedes, both of which are based in theater but expand out in very interesting ways. Modesto Flacco Jimenez is a Dominican-born, Bushwick-raised poet, playwright, educator, actor, producer, and director. He's appeared in plays by The Wooster Group and Richard Maxwell, among many others, and was the first Dominican-American lead artist in the Under the Radar Festival in 2018 with his show OJ For My Dear Brooklyn. Flacco's project Taxilandia draws on his nine years of experience driving a taxi cab in New York City and his documentation of conversations with passengers, residents, locals, and immigrants to the neighborhood. His project Mercedes is a multidisciplinary theatrical work inspired by Flacco's grandmother, exploring matriarchy, familial bonds, and inherited trauma, caregiving, memory, and how our own identity can impact our mental health. Let's jump into the conversation between me, Charlotte, Madison, and Flacco. Can we talk about um, Taxilandia? I'm here to talk about what I want to talk about. Let's get it. <laughs> yeah, let's, that was how I first heard about your work. And, you know, we've been trying to interview a few different people lately who do work that like somehow responds to an environment. A lot of the people that we've talked to were, are thinking about how do trees listen or like how do we make an opera that's in dialogue with with Newtown Creek in, in Brooklyn and Queens. But I think like Taxilandia is really cool because it's like, you know, it's in conversation with a neighborhood. So, which is also an environment, you know? Would you mind just like describing it for us, for our listeners that don't know what it is? Uh, it's a play that happens in a gentrifying neighborhood in the backseat of a car while a local shows you their neighborhood through their eyes while also sharing something personal, but really sharing what gentrification or colonialism really looks like um, to them. And we have one in San Diego and here in New York. And we're working right now with a company in DC, hoping that we could put one up. And Chicago, I saw that you wanted to bring that up, but Chicago was the New York stage version of the car. A lot of people can't afford to put up a quarter million to put up a production in their neighborhood and feed the neighborhood. Uh -huh. So to be real, sometimes you just got to take the story and like take it in a simple, what is it for a black box with a couple of slides and the story is still there. And now that activates those locals to be able to see if they can figure out if they can tell their stories without me having to go over there and like put up, up just do it, dog. This is what I did. Do it yourself. How do you communicate that to someone else? Like, this is this is how you do Taxilandia, do it yourself. What's that process like? Um, we all have a story that we can share. Like, I, there's a template that I can sell you because this is about capital also, right? Like, I'm not also going to bullshit myself. Like, I created a franchise where I can be able to share something that lets you keep your capital, your art, and not be in a gentrifying building, not be in a building all the time. And not, let me call it gentrifying building. Um, but not be in a theater space that actually requires other artists to come into it. Your show can't stay there forever. 
So now your show belongs to you, it's yours, it's in your car. You can do it whenever people reach out to you. You keep all the capital. But throughout that show, you're actually also providing capital to the community. I make pit stops and local businesses that then I give dope. I give that to the person in the back. So there's certain things I won't spill all the beans, but um, Taxilandia came with a gallery of five businesses displaying artwork of other local artists addressing the same theme. So if you go to the Taxilandia website, you'll see that it has um, galleries and a bunch of spots listed. So those are all different artists addressing it. I got to check. Right. So there's just moments of just like, how do you get out the way and let other people also tell their stories and put a put a bag there. So that was a way it was during the pandemic. So we created a text version for the person that didn't want to get in the car. So now you can do a little exercise, come and walk the neighborhood of Bushwick with this text version. And it's super cheap. It's free. Huh. Do it. Right. So mm -hmm. then we we understood that when you say it's free, people don't do shit. So then we added like two, three dollars or something on it. So it ran with the theater company. Uh, shout out to New York Theater Workshop, the Tank, OJ Group, and um, God damn it, the Bushwick Star. Those are my people. So how the fuck I'm gonna forget the main ones? Um, <laughs> they they really helped me fell forward and like embrace every craziness that I was thinking about through the pandemic to be able to put up a show when I was able to plexiglass the whole car, add microphones, computers, all this. I brought a theater in the backseat of a car. But that requires a lot of capital and a lot of beta testing just to make it work. Yeah. So it's growing. And the more we grow, the more we try to make it more accessible and creating other avenues to like let it be consumed. But respecting that our goal is to make sure that that artist owns his art, keeps his art, and makes the capital, keeps the capital after it does the theater run circuit moment. Right, like the La Jolla Playhouse, shout out to them. They really helped us put this car out in San Diego. And now that artist can do the show whenever they want. Okay. We get a little kickback because it is what it is, but it's not even like like that. It's just a moment of just like, yay, remember, it's ours. It's ours also. We created this. We went out there yeah. and, we, and we help them create the story to make sure that it's also not traumatizing and making sure that it has tools that is being shared and your culture is being shared, your language is being shared. And it's not just, here's the story of gentrification from the backseat of a car. No, here's my story. Here's how it, it has affected me, the landscape changing. And now I wrote a show that gives me capital, tells you the story and gives you some tools because we're all going through this shit. The issue of capital is so real. Like it's, it's so difficult just to like pay anyone fairly in the arts. And it, it's cool that you're like thinking so creatively about how to like actually make it viable for people, you know? It's hard. It's nonprofit. So it's like knowing that if you respect the business of it, you just got to like be honest enough with people to tell them, no, there's no money. We got 5,000. What are we going to do? Uh, don't that big dream that ain't happening. Yeah. Anything else is like emotional labor and all this other shit that right. like I, I did it before and I'm not trying to do that shit again. I mean, I don't want to hurt your art and I don't want your art to hurt me. So keep that shit over there. Reading on your website a little bit, um, Taxilandia kind of comes from your experience as a taxi driver. Yeah. For many years. I was wondering if you could talk about that and tell the story of like that experience to the to the genesis of 
Taxilandia. I needed a job and I didn't want to be in a nine to five office because that didn't let me memorize lines, that didn't let me do the work that my real passion is to be a theater artist, right? To be an actor, to be acting. In the cab, I wrote a lot, which is my other right passion, which is to write, not thinking that my writing was going to be the main. It has become that, but it's like that happened. I was sitting in the car, just sitting in the car, waiting for cab calls. And when I'm in the cab, I'm writing. Some people will ask, hey, what you doing? Oh, I'm writing. Yo, you want to give me a line? I'll give you a discount. Now you're giving me a line for me to write something by it and like figure out something that, why are you giving me that line? You're Oh, you seem like kind of pissed off and in the rear view mirror and like now just giving me stories for me to create off that one line. Hmm. Just trying to keep my art alive while I'm doing my nine, my gig, right? Mm -hmm. um, the goodness of it is that it kept me connected to the block. It kept me connected to people. It kept me connected to the struggling person. Because usually if you're cabbing like that, and especially taking a Liberty cab, you're not in a limousine. You're not in that hired for you by the, with the mirror grows up and it's different. So you know that this is a certain type of economy, a certain type of class that's going to get in the back of this car. So if I offer you a discount, you might understand that we both aren't, we, 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 nigga, we in the same page. We broke. Um, can we talk? Yeah. And that was the beginning of Taxilandia. Like, right. how do I document that? How do I also keep myself with a paycheck so I can have openness to go to an audition, go do what I have to do with for my art? Because if the art ain't there, the cab's going to be there making capital. And while I'm in the cab, if no cab calls are coming in, I'm writing poems or writing ideas about an education program that I want to run one day. From your experience driving taxis and listening to people and, you know, giving a discount for a line or for a story and having people open up in the car, like how much of that made it into Taxilandia? There is a TED talk of me reading these poems and you see the, the picture of the customer because that, that was also a moment that I would take their picture and then they would leave and they, if they had an Instagram or whatever or Facebook, they will get that added to it. Um, and I will write a poem and I would attach it to the picture either on Facebook or Instagram. And like that, there's a, there's thousands of those. Wow. And you can just uh, hashtag BGT flow, which is Brooklyn Gypsy Taxi Flow, which was the first thing of it. If you look that up on Instagram uh, or look up Taxilandia itself on Instagram, you'll see a million pictures. We'll link or, to this in the show notes and yeah. And now in the final version, the show could only be so long. So I, I picked the stories that continue the story that needed to be told. Um, the ones that were too traumatizing, right? And the ones that were like, I don't have enough space to download this picture on you right now. Weren't kept that final version, but everything that I had in the cab became OJ Group. Like every corner program, every idea, like it was this binder with tabs. Fuck, now I'm remembering that now. Where it was like, what do I want to do for education? What do I want to do for my own art? What do I want? The binder's done now because OJ Group is up and every fucking tab got put up. Whoa. Now it's just like funding it. How do we keep it up and how do we fund it? And that's respecting the business side of it. It took me a bunch of years to really be like, to stop self-funding everything like from 30 to $90,000 a year. 
mm-hmm. outside of just money to live in New York City. So then you respect the business and say, oh shit, you need to become a nonprofit. Oh, and then I can hire a staff. Oh shit. So, and again, I have a great right-hand gangster called Kevin Torres, um, my cousin, but also managing director of everything that is OJ Group. It is not a solo situation. There are, there's a team. Shout out to Adriana, Juridia, Tyler, and all the other past workers that we've had. It's gotten to where it's at because it's a team effort. How do you keep the relationships between the people in the company like healthy? How do you choose who you work with? Like, what's that? It's it takes time. It takes time. There's uh, understanding that people are going to come in and out because they're not there for your goal. Their goal might be I need to be here for two years to get this capital while I'm doing some good work. And that's the healing part that gets for them. It takes time to get that. Because then we get attached as people that we are. That's a bone that as a boss you got to create. That it's like, I know that you're here and you might, you have to grow just like I want to grow my company. Making sure that when somebody's hurt, you send them flowers. I know it's not in a budget, but find that money, right? Because as a boss, you also got to accept that like, yo, you said you start in this. So put up the capital or don't mm-hmm. say you're doing that. Anything else is sending bullshit. Mm-hmm. If that clarity is not had, then you're bringing in people for emotional investment and labor and like some modern day bullshit slavery shit for your art goal. Because at the end of the day, it's just an art goal. It's not going to stop climate change. It's not going to put capital in your audience so they could be better. It's going to give them a. <sighs> That's what we're here for. We're all artists and we all can sell bullshit pretty fucking lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I just like respecting the business side of the shit because then that means I get to enjoy my art and get to enjoy the people I'm around with. Like if I'm going to have business issues, I'm going to have it with my business partner. We can knock heads. But at the end of the day, we were knocking heads for some art shit. It's that clear to me, mm-hmm. right? I Like I come from a neighborhood where I used to have to sell drugs to be able to like breathe. I don't take that shit lightly. Like I have a pretty fucking privileged life at 41 as a black man in America. I get up and I go to sleep whenever the fuck I want. And the arts pays for everything I do. All I wanted was to always be an artist. So I've reached that goal. I can check that box. All I need to do is respect the business side of this shit. So I don't have my art hurt me at the end of this when I'm an old man. And I hope that helps your audience. And like my goal is to make sure that that capital has a percentage of it allocated to a neighborhood and we're going to put out a story that lets that artist share what that neighborhood is going through or how can we share some tools taxilandia and mercedes yeah i feel that tension where like often in different parts of the arts people don't talk this bluntly about money and stuff and and we do kind of get like all in the clouds about the importance of our work and and we just take for granted that this is how things should be like um yeah. what was the process for you like was Toxilandia the first piece where you were like oh I, I'm not gonna do this in a theater I'm gonna try to do something different we couldn't do it in a theater like Taxilandia was a really um challenging piece for me because I actually wanted to do it in the cab in the first place before mm-hmm. the pandemic but I I spent 90000 putting it up at the Barishnikov as a sample for presenters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? That's $90,000, bro. 
just for 70 something people to see it once 72 people and to see if it will get picked up at a theater and then the pandemic happened that workshop was february 20th 2020 then a month after that after all the bites and people are excited about the work da -da 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 -da, everything is shutting down and i'm like wait but i got a show and i got a cab that a grant gave me so i could put on a show in a cab like this car was bought by art money Fuck out of here. This is already a goal. And I got this before the pandemic. So let me talk to people and let me see what can happen. And like, I called in the people that I, the companies that trusted me, shout out to Megan Finn and the tank, sat down with her, had a lot of conversations about, um, she helped me, she hired me to be a cab driver in a play back in, uh, fuck, 2014, called Take Me Home. So it's already something that I had done, but it wasn't my story. It was like part of it were stories of mine's in there, but it wasn't my play, right? It, I was the actor and, and producer that found the car and da 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 da. So I already knew I knew how to do this. Like I drove through a fucking blizzard and that no crashes ever. So I'm like, oh, that's to just drive in my neighborhood now. This is easy. This just I just need people to trust. It took a while. We're all fucking pandemic and stages to be closed to be able to be like, well, he has product he's been telling us about. So then it was able to get adapted to what I wanted in the original. Like it got adapted to the stage and then I had to adapt it back to the car. So that's Taxilandia behind the scenes. Wow, that's that's crazy. It was like but business. <laughs> it's still business, though. There was a lot of capital yeah. being allocated to the stage version that now I'm still trying to recoup by creating a smaller stage version that doesn't mess up the car, but also lets those theater companies that don't have the capital for a car version to at least get the story of gentrification to their neighborhood and get people, right, just levels. And is that the version that was in Chicago or you're still working yeah. on it? No, it was in okay. Chicago. Um, it was like okay. our, our first beta version of it. I'm like, after the Barishnikov, how do you create a really stripped down version? Victor Morales, the designer of, of all the visuals um that's my man so i gotta play him man you, <laughs> you asking for too many cues it's about your words it's about the words i needed that in chicago to just know that i needed just a powerpoint kind of setup not really q lab right and sound cues but just one projector and let the words live and if your words are going to resonate with locals because they are going through similar experiences so Yes, a super hyper Bushwick, but your restaurant is also gone, isn't it? Your school got, like, you have less supermarkets, right? We all have that. So find that universal moment. So Chicago was the beta moment for it, and it worked. So I'm really excited to see what that product looks like in smaller houses. Yeah. So then it's like, we have the cards, but if you can't do the card, like, look, we got this product for you. Business. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've been um, interrupting Madison. Do you have any? Oh, I mean, I was I was also going to just ask about if you could give us the sort of background of Mercedes. I guess the the blurb, Mercedes <laughs> is a work in progress, piece inspired uh, by my grandmother, Mercedes Vinales, who helped a lot of people get their footing here in America um, by letting them stay in their house, in her house for a year or two to raise a lot of capital before they get their own apartment and just like sending boxes of food to the Dominican Republic and just taking care of a lot of family members. 
not random people, not saying that she was a community activist, none of that. Uh, she took care of her tribe and her extended tribe. Like she made sure they had what they needed and that happened for three decades. Wow. So that it's something that she forgot. So I just wanted her to remember that and celebrate that and also not making it a traumatic. It's like a celebration of a person's life and the work that they put on to make sure that the next generation doesn't have to forget that and do it all over again. So that's the Mercedes story in itself. And it's like just giving it to people in a documentary, in a VR, in a stage play by going to senior center workshops. And I believe that, oh, and coloring books and stuff like that. So it's just a lot of fun doing work that reminds me of all the gangster great stuff she did. And then being like, oh, so this is why I, okay, this is dope. I get to travel around and be like, look, my grandmother was dope as fuck. <laughs> um, and this is all the things she did that was selfless. Like it was not about her. I know y'all all probably have similar stories like this. Um, we're migrants, right? Um, let's share them. Yeah. And not the the sharing of the day-to-day -day, like hustle, but more of like, let's slow down. Let me remind you, um, we come from this country and in this country, this and this and this happened that got me here. And like, now that must've been bad, but look, now we're here and it's more fruitful actually. And like, look how I stay connected with the family back home by sending them stuff to make sure they're not struggling. Like we used to struggle. So just like, those beautiful conversations I was able to have with my grandmother. So that celebration is just like, oh, to do that for a couple of years and just like shout her out and let the people that she also helped do some healing with this. Cause you know, when somebody passes, usually it takes you into a dark bubble. So just creating other avenues of celebration. That's really beautiful. That makes me think of, um, you know, this emphasis on like oral history and like storytelling and everyone having their own particular constellation of oral histories for their community, their friends, their family, that method of preservation maybe is also, it looks towards the future in a really optimistic way, in a way where it teaches people. I'm constantly just trying to document my people's history. Like my first play was OJ for my dear Brooklyn, which is like about gentrification, but really it wasn't. It had two poems about gentrification in it, and everything else was just addressing being Latino and, and a migrant in America. And like sharing that story and hearing the youth being like, yo, my father went through shit like that. And, blah, blah, and just like that is so fruitful to me. And being able to like document my people's story because it hasn't, and I mean my family and my like, the Jimenez history has been hit with a lot of traumas and just dictators and a bunch of crazy shit. So being able to document that to me is really important to make sure that the next generation of Jimenez can just look back now that everything is so like digital and like so out there. It's not the same as like the 90s. I'm 41. So I've lived those moments where like, wow, look at all the accessibility now to just people's lives. For you to be able to document somebody's life and put it out there in the early 90s, that's expensive as fuck. So now being able to have all these great ways of being able to like, just like, oh, look, with this little bit of capital from this nonprofit entity that doesn't even have that much capital because it is a nonprofit, I'm able to like put out this great piece of 
like documentation of my family and all these other things because it checks all these theater boxes and like VR boxes. And that's great because it, yes, it's a great piece of art, but it, I'm documenting my people's history. It seems like you're getting more and more into multimedia work. And yeah, what are the reasons for that? What are the advantages of? I guess to me, it's just finding other ways to share the story for those people that don't come to the theater. I've always collaborated with the designers and the other worlds, but I brought them in the theater. So now it's just coming out of it and just like figuring out, okay, VR is dope. And I've worked on VR pieces. Let me apply to a residency that gives me the opportunities to start playing with that medium and gives me some capital while I'm playing with that medium. Now more fully respecting the medium and not just bringing it into the theater and going to it, I guess. And like its own, like the space Onyx itself is not a theater space. Yeah. Like it's super tech heavy and I, I don't deal with tech. Getting to be able to like talk to other collaborators and respecting them, the letting go, seeing the outcome of what the words created and then what they created off those words is just pure magic. It's just beautiful. Mm. Do you miss the aspect of like connecting with an audience and feeling that like immediate feedback and stuff? It still happens. Now I get it with less performer stress. Mm. Now I get to talk Great. to you right after. <laughs> Do you think it in increases or changes um, accessibility when you're presenting this work through a VR medium? I think I'm just creating for those people on that when I'm doing it there. Yeah. Like I, I know there's a lane for those people that might not come to theater and just deal with the VR in itself and be like, this is what I do. And this is how I enjoy all these crazy creations of like and the Oculus and all those crazy apps and shows and people consume that. There's a world for that. So there's already a lane. I'm just putting more stuff in that lane. Mm -hmm. And now doing it with like the caregiving moment, because that's what I'm doing the VR for. Like I know there the beginning level was like, oh, I realized that people might not be able to come and see the stage show because they can't. They're caregiving. How do I take something over there? And the first level was like, oh, a VR thing, because if they have an Oculus, they can enjoy it that way if they're a caregiver. And yeah. then if they don't, we can create the tablet and the phone versions. After we create the VR one, then we can adapt it to be tablet or phone or whatever modes, right? Mm -hmm. So working now, just creating the, the main one that is the medium for VR and for the VR people. And jumping off that one to then just adapt that to accessibility fully for the person that's at home and just has the phone. So I saw the the VR version on the Max Live Festival in 2023. And I think I read that it's part of like a bigger project that also has like a live theater component, yeah. and like other components. Is that still true? Do you have like yes. plans to do a live version? So we plan on doing a live version in 2026. We have the VR all three episodes opening in November. The VR opens with a doc with the documentary that I 
So it's just developing other mediums that get to the home for caregiving. The stage play will be like the celebration of all the work we've done since 2020 when we started venturing into the Mercedes world. Just like, oh, uh, first is just us having conversations and making a documentary out of it. Like what is the arts and healing and caregiving together? And like that just happened organically. We wasn't, that wasn't our intention. It was just like, yo, I would just want to capture the process of creating this stage play. But then it ended up just forming itself to be the doc and respecting that that's what it needed to be. Mm-hmm. And like not keep pushing the theater and then understanding that it required me to know more. So it's like, oh, now I need to apply to more things that just give me the knowledge of like dementia and all these other scientific moments of care and the right language that doesn't have anything to do with like like the language that i was using to invite people to a theater was hurtful after i sat down with people and actually reviewed it it's like oh i'm inviting people to a show that actually has these words that actually are hurting a caregiver that's theater language though that's the typical theater language to put on a flyer oh shit okay, let me go sit down with social workers and actual therapists and figure out this language that needs to be on a flyer. So it's just been a lot of slowdowns away from the performance of our typical goers, like the the person that sees the theater show. So it's like a, a whole new learning, which is really fascinating. Can you give me an example as someone, I think in music, it's similar. We just take for granted that this is how things work. Like we have a live concert and it happens at a concert hall. Like like the venue. Language is hurtful. My first venue was for the healing workshops was in Bushwick at a studio, second floor. It had an elevator. That was dope. But I did them at, during hours that people are already sleeping that are going through shit like this. But I had it set up for hours for artists, not knowing that, oh, that's the theater, seven o'clock, eight o'clock. Oh, okay. Oh, this needs to be at noon and at 11 a.m. and at 10 a.m. And we need to bust them over. So there was a whole reworking of the capital and everything just to make sure it's going to the right steps to make sure that those people being affected by it are getting some type of real support and not just the art stamp. Yeah, right. So a lot of slowdowns and not being on the stage supports that. Mm-hmm. So Mercedes is a, is a piece about uh, celebrating a person that forgot their, that forgot themselves. So now let's get out the way and hear your stories and hear how you are celebrating yours. And that's most most of the work happening at the workshops. And what I've gotten the most out of those senior center workshops is actually seeing the face change when they accept like, oh, wait, yeah, I want to hear this. And it's like, yes, we want you to share your story before you go. We want that, the good and the bad, because that'll help us learn. And here we have a therapist and a social worker for you to engage with them if you're like, this triggers something even deeper, because mm-hmm. I'm also not that. So we we hire all these people to respect your lane so there's layers in that that don't got shit to do with a stage play to me it feels so radical that you you've been trained in theater and you kind of are coming from that place but then you're really shaping like what your group offers based around 
the people that you want to serve and like the greater thing that you want to accomplish, which is bigger than just the company the name is OJ. Um, yeah. listen, mm -hmm. right? Like, uh, mm -hmm. for a moment, we were at the beginning of the process of Mercedes, we were not that we weren't listening, but we were coming in with the medium that we already know. And we were using those tools until like the block was like, hey, you just wasted a lot of capital for not listening, right? They didn't need to say it, but by not showing up, that's what they said. We're not there because you didn't actually even ask us this properly. Like, bro, did you even ask the caregivers at what time can they come? I just set a date and a time pictures look good and pretty and everything was what it was supposed to be and the teaching artist was there but the teaching artist had nobody to teach because we didn't promote this for the caregivers at time properly because at that time they actually had to be cleaning an ass and putting a patient to sleep yeah we weren't listening so then that amount of capital smacked the shit out of us and made us listen because sometimes you got to fail that way right and fail forward and then the next one you sign up with abrams art center since they have right henry street settlement which is a lot of senior and a lot of community and now let's get capital and, and make sure that we bust those other senior centers and from one to the next do you have any other uh dreams for like you've done vr you've done theater in a taxi any other places that you want to take your work as an artist maybe like kind of selfishly selfishly we all want big money right <laughs> like you know we all because then we can do more so uh eventually books film if i can write that so it's it's giving myself time and space to learn those and if i even have enough connections or because all of that is time and energy and how many hours you put in unless you know the big willy that's why it's the slowdown of like respecting all these mediums and like learning them first so I'm, that's sort of what mercedes is also like learning all these new spaces and all these mm -hmm. possible new collaborators so yeah it's whatever comes i'm not i don't close the door to anything as long as the other side understands that we need to put capital behind it so like that no one's hurt I feel forward in whatever medium. Everything needs a writer. That's true. Well, maybe that's, you've given us so much. This has been such a great conversation. I don't know, Madison, do you have any other yeah. thoughts? Madison, what like, you got, Madison? Like... <laughs> um, I don't know, I'm like looking at something I had jotted down here was the sort of educational initiatives, like um, come to the corner and the role that those play, Yeah. you know, especially like, in a pandemic, post-pandemic era, and like how much communities have been fractured because of the pandemic. Well, from the corners, the corners actually started because of um, the pandemic. We only had the poet's corner. And Shake on the Block is the program that we've always run. is like teaching kids Shakespeare. That was like my shit. And the reading corner... Uh, building corner, movement corner, like all of those started through the pandemic because we just knew that people needed some time at home where they didn't have to take care of their kid. Like, can you just give the parent a breather and engage the kid fully? Cool. Let's do it. The reading corner where this is just for kids under 13, under 12, and are just like on this book, coloring book, reading this book of, of a person of color by a person of color reading it to them. 
that speaks their language. So it that it was just like, how do we get that in the home? Because we can't, they can't come out and we can't go in. So Zoom works beautifully right now for us. Let's do it that way and we can pay an artist to do that. Again, just like what is needed, listening. And when it doesn't work, cancel it. When it's done its mission and it's done its job, it's okay, let it go. And that takes a huge amount of humility to recognize that as well. It takes yeah. a lot of capital loss too. Yeah. It's it's a it's a dance. It's not all it's not all humble and shit like that. It's like really sometimes it's just the business part of it. Like, oh look, what you thought was needed, figure it out again. Uh talk to the business partners. Um, the next six months is that instead of paying an artist to be somewhere when there's nobody there, right? Because that also that's a change from remote to in person and all these things that became that after the pan post pandemic that it was just a lot of clarity for us where it's like oh we need a we need to rework all these things again so we're we're sort of in that stage right now we've been running the programs they work really well some of them are working are working good without even having a public facing moment which are moments that we also are learning as a company that not everything needs to be marketed and sometimes just doing the work is just do the fucking work, bro. Don't pat yourself on the back for doing the work. So we, we're learning a lot over here. Mm -hmm. Like, how do we really serve? And when it's time to, like, stop serving to listen so then we can do more serving. That's awesome. Well, we want to pat you on the back. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, guys. Good job, OG. Yeah, the company. The company. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so this much for coming on the podcast. I'm so glad you're able to do this because it's hearing your perspective is really like refreshing and really insightful. And yeah. Appreciate y'all for giving me the platform. Okay. Yeah, be good. Take care of yourself. Have a lovely weekend. Yeah, you too. You too. Bye. 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 This has been the Talk Editions Podcast, episode 41 with Modesto Flaco Jimenez. Check the show notes for links to learn more about Oye Group and see a few pictures from Flaco's taxi driving days. This episode was produced and edited by Charlotte Mundy. The music you heard at the beginning and end of the episode is by Talk's Director of Creative Research, David Bird. It's from his recent album, Wire Hums, which is amazing. Go check it out on Bandcamp. Talk's next show in New York City will be on March 2nd at the Center for Performance Research. We're premiering a new work by Jesse Cox titled Nothing But a Puff of Wind and new music written by Talk for Talk. You can find more info about that concert and about Talk in general in our show notes. And we hope to see you at that concert if you're also based in New York. But no matter where you are, we're very glad you tuned into the podcast, and we hope you keep tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thank you.